What is up, everybody, all you fine listeners of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. I am JJ Jerez with me, Arif Dean. Happy to be back talking some avalanche hockey, podcasting, doing what I do, doing what I've done for the last eight, nine years, Arif. It's just part of who I am. I felt like um, almost a bone of mine was missing or or I was missing a, a phalange of some sort. Just part of me was not there. So I'm happy to be back podcasting. Thank you to everybody out there that sent me well wishes on Twitter um, for the birth of my baby boy, Felix Elias Hedeth. He's a beautiful child and um, everything's going well. But respect to all the parents out there. I mean, I know I knew parenting was hard. I was expecting it to be hard, but it is kicking my ass <laughs> how are you I've, I've gotten a few text messages the last three weeks i'm just happy to not i mean there's many things i'm happy to have for this show coming back to normal um but one of them is to not have to intro a podcast because it's one of those little things you and i were just talking about before we started recording like give me a topic and i'll talk your ear off i'll go on my four or five minute tangents you'll say three words and then something else will come to mind and then i'll just cut you off and then i'll go on another four or five minutes but tell me to intro and outro a podcast and i just <laughs> i can't i can't do it welcome to hockey mountain hi your go-to and then i like half the episodes i did without you i forgot the ad read or i'd forget oh. to say presented <laughs> by superbook sports or it uh, like just no structure, just me blabbing with Peter Baugh and Ryan Bolding, who were both just great soldiers and coming in and trying to make something of the show the last month. So um, I would say we tried about as hard as the Avalanche did at the trade deadline to make something of this show. And, and, and we did it and we got JJ back and we're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, we'll see how uh, consistent we can maintain this schedule. But I have a, a really, well, maybe my best friend in the whole world has season tickets. Him and his dad kind of have season tickets right in the corner um, of where the Avs attack twice. And when they're sitting there in their seats and the Avalanche are losing, it's the first period. Maybe the Avalanche didn't do so hot. What they like to do is switch seats or switch jerseys or change hats, change something up, right? And there was a stretch of avalanche hockey there were they were on fire when i took my break right they kept winning and winning and winning and now it's to the point where they've lost three in a row so i feel like we got to shake things up i got to come back on this podcast and see if we can get the juju back in the right direction um but yeah i guess what have you seen the last three games that has suddenly caused the avalanche to slide again when they look to have you know made a comeback in the nhl and they were suddenly the talk around the league it's just the narrative, the the script writers, as we call them, it's so perfect the way this has unraveled because first of all, like, am I panicking? I wasn't panicking when they were 11th in the West. I'm not panicking now, but they shut out the Vegas Golden Knights. Like this time last week, they were shutting out the Vegas Golden Knights and Ivan Barbashev's debut and Gold Vegas had zero, like nothing coming against the Avalanche. Then they get the New Jersey Devils. They play Eustace Annan and they let in seven goals. And it was kind of like, you know, the, you know, it was 5 1. They made a 5 4, blah, blah, blah. Like they made something out of a game where it's like, yeah, they had to play their third stringer. That's what happens when you don't have Frankie. We've seen this story before with Grubauer and Hunter Miska. Like there's, this is nothing different. Um, then two nights later or whatever it was later, they go into Dallas and they lay two more goose eggs and Miko ranted and flips out. And then they come back home, they have a game all but locked up, a very sloppy game, 
And they once again lay another goose egg late in regulation, lose it in overtime, didn't touch the puck in OT. Miko Rantanen got another one of those uh, temper tantrum penalties earlier in the night. And it's just so perfect because this is all centered around the trade deadline where, you know, even you and I, we all expected the Avalanche to make a big addition. There's reasons why they didn't. We can kind of get into that a little bit, but they end up with only Lars Eller. Obviously, Jack Johnson as well. They previously had brought in Matt Nieto and they brought in Dennis Malgin way, way back months ago. And you kind of like, you come out of the trade deadline and as an Avalanche fan and a lot of the fans on Twitter that have been tweeting me for the last three games are already pissed off that the Avalanche came away with nothing but Lars Eller. That means JT Comfort is your second line center for the cup run. That means Lars Eller is your third line center. And then the very next game, they get embarrassed by the team ahead of them in the standings. And then two nights later, they lose a close game that they should have won to another team in the playoffs. And all anybody can say is they should have done more at the deadline. They should have done more at the deadline. But funny enough, there's a team in Toronto that brought in six new guys. They are beefing up for the playoffs. And they're on a little bit of a losing streak. And it's they did too much. <laughs> so it's just funny the way the script always goes around the trade deadline. Like the deadline has nothing to do with the Colorado Avalanche playing three bad hockey games, but ultimately they played are playing bad hockey at like just the right time for people to blame it on the lack of pickups at the deadline. It's hilarious. Well, I, I like how you point out the Dallas losses kind of being an eyebrow raiser, right? Because I, it, it kind of is that Avalanche usually take care of Dallas, no problem. And I, I think that was probably their first time they lost to him this year. I think they beat him the other meetings. And last year, um, I can only remember one loss to, to the Stars. Um, so I, I think... Obviously, the Stars are a good team, but I think that kind of tells you a little bit of, about them just trying to figure themselves out again, right? I know adding one guy to the lineup isn't exactly the biggest shakeup, and they were able to manage their trade deadline last year with four new additions, but um, it, it's just different in there, and and they're still trying to navigate the whole process without their captain, right? Uh, you brought up Miko Rantanen getting pissed off. We've seen Miko Rantanen get pissed off a couple times this year, and yeah. mostly at the refs. Um, so let's let's get into that conversation first before we we dive into and unpack more about what you said because I think it's funny I've I've been watching these games from home right which stinks but also has its benefits and in in watching the last night's game and watching Coach Bednar's post game presser it's funny how he kind of subtly brought up Miko and I heard the rest of the press room kind of just spark up like oh we better ask some follow up questions on 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 this comment right and. I know that's our job as media to dive into that and to, you know, is, is this an issue? No, it's not an issue. I think it's definitely something Jared Bednar is aware of. He knows the way his, his guys are. He definitely has his finger on the pulse of that room. And it's not something that he's going to ignore. Jared Bednar loves discipline. Jared Bednar loves hard work. So he's not going to just let something like that slide. Sure, he's going to get in the ear and say, hey, you got to straighten this out. But it's not going to be anything egregious like a benching, which I heard was was brought up yesterday. Hey, you ever think about benching him? No, you're not benching Miko Rantanen. And no, you're not benching Miko Rantanen for letting the emotions of the game take over, right? That's kind of what makes him a good player is he he rides those emotions. When times are tough, he comes and shines. He he scores a big goal when, when uh, the emotions are high, right? I just think it's a little bit more of a testament to his his immaturity as a leader. Not that he's immature. But his leadership and the, the way he's learning how to do it is, is growing. He's always had Landis Gog to lean on. 
and Landis Cog's not there. Would Landis Cog, would, would his presence in the locker room make a difference? I'm, I'm sure it would. But he's kind of trying to navigate this whole leadership role without much guidance, if, if, if that makes any sense. I mean, we've said the same thing about Nathan McKinnon this year, last year, every pretty much every single and year. Look at, when and look at him. There. And look at him. Don't you feel like he's kind of he got tired of that negative connotation towards his name and kind of doesn't necessarily yell at, at teammates as much anymore, doesn't necessarily have that negative energy, kind of tries to approach it differently. I think Miko Ranton is going to be the same way. He just has to figure out what's wrong, what's right. And and this yeah. is him figuring that out. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of practice. The funny thing is about the, uh, or a little bit of time, I should say, some reps in, in a leadership role like that without Gabe Landeskog, which like, again, you cannot understate like what number 92 means to this team, not just the points, but Gabe Landeskog can put up 45 points a year for the next six years of this or seven years of this contract after this season. And he would still be worth the $7 million because of what else he brings to this team. Um, but aside from that, like the funny thing is about the Miko written and the benching thing, Jared Bednar actually brought that up before we did. And, uh, you know, he had mentioned Miko's name earlier. And then I asked him like, if he got a chance to, if he's addressed the Miko written and thing, and here's the exact quote, because I've never heard Jared so quickly answer a question that he knew was coming. And like you, like you said, it was deep in the press conference. Here's literally word for word. What Jared said, you can't do it. Can't do it. He knows it. Can't do it. Like, that's how he started his answer. Like, he was so fed up with it. You know, we saw it, like you said, earlier in the season. Miko was having a lot of games like that, and now it's two straight games in a row. Against Dallas, it's one that, you know, negates a four-on-four and makes it a power play for the for the Stars. Against the Seattle Kraken, it's after a penalty was already taken where you take another two and you gave the team about as close to a sure thing for a goal that you can have in the NHL, a two-minute five-on-three power play, which the Avalanche impressively killed on before pissing away the game with an ugly turnover later. But you can't do it, can't do it, he knows it, can't do it. And then he went on to say, my options are to sit him the rest of the period or talk to him and turn him loose and hopefully he can bounce back. I didn't think he had a good night prior to that, so the frustrations probably, you know, brought brought on by his own games and uh you know points are important games are important this time of year he understands that so you know i had that discussion whether i'd rather turn him loose and see if he can dig in and help our team win and make up for it so that was my decision so he went into that beforehand but ultimately like look gabe landeskog over the years has had you know, moments where he's lost it on the refs. We've seen it. The hell off the ice, the very last regular season game Gabe's ever played. We're, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of him blasting the refs in Carolina uh, on the missed calls and not on Nazem Kadri. And he hasn't played a regular season game since, which is crazy. He's just like a ghost part of this team right now. But it comes with maturity. It comes with time. Having that leadership role, having kind of the team relying on you, the locker room relying on you, the media relying on you, everybody relying on you. You can tell at times it's gotten to Miko. And is it something worth addressing? Yes. But is it something to panic over? The dude's got freaking 40 goals. Like what more can he do? Basically to say like the pressure of leading a team and being one of the big leaders on the team, it's not affecting his game. It's getting to him sometimes and in some ways, but it's not affecting his game. And you know, you Take that, you add on the fact that the Avalanche have just had this insane amount of injuries the entire season. You know the players think about that. You know they think every time we're getting close, well, now Josh Manson, he's going to miss some time. Well, now we don't have a second goalie. We have Keith Kincaid playing with yellow pads. We have Kale McCarr getting a concussion coming back and we lose again. Like nothing 
is really nothing has really been a steady flow this year. I know they just went 14, two and two in an 18 game stretch, but that's kind of what I'm seeing in Miko Ranton. And you're seeing it even after he wins games, he's got this fire to him in the locker room that he never had in years past. I want to go back to, I think it was early last season, right? When we were still doing the COVID style press conferences, we didn't get that one-on-one time in the locker room. And you and I on this very podcast had the conversation of noticing a little more snarl out of Miko Rantanen, right? He had a little more attitude to him. You said it a second ago, Gabe Landeskog has a tendency to lose it sometimes, whether it's on referees, sometimes it's on opponents too, right? I think Miko Rantanen, while he's growing into the, uh, you know, an NHLer, he's seeing a guy like Gabe Landeskog, who he obviously emulates, and he says, that guy has a little bit of snarl to his game. I want to add a little bit of snarl to my game to keep being a well-rounded NHLer. And I think with the physical side of it, he's slowly pushing that envelope and trying to figure out what he can get away with. I've seen him do a lot more cross-checking, a lot more mm-hmm. slashing to people's back of the legs this season than I've seen him ever in years past. So I agree. There's there's a there's an element to it that he kind of needs to tone back a little bit, calm down. But I like him having that little bit of snarl, that little bit of attitude, pointing to his ring finger when he's in the penalty box, right? A little bit of cockiness and confidence. But what I'm loving out of it is the fact that this team already won a cup, right? And when you win a cup, people start to question, oh, how how much drive are they going to have to go out there and win another one? Now that Miko Rantanen has more pressure on his shoulders, he wants to shine. He wants that pressure. He, you know, he wants to come and live up to those expectations and get the avalanche to another Stanley Cup. That's what I'm seeing out of him is that fire, that intensity of him just being a competitor and wanting to win. Yeah, I mean, those are those are the types of guys that win over and over again. Like, right. If, if you know anything, you know, and, and I say this to you and I say this to the listeners and even to myself because I've only interacted with him, you know, several times. I can count on one hand or two hands even. But Nikita Kucherov is one of the grumpiest humans in the NHL, which is what makes his whole uh, rant that he had. on Number on one Zoom, bullshit. Number one bullshit with Wasi and uh, number one bullshit. <laughs> that guy in Vegas win goalie of the year and blah, 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 blah. Like that whole thing. What makes that even crazier than it was is that it came from him, just the grumpiest dude, kind of like Ryan Kessler, just used to be the grumpiest hockey player ever. And those guys win. That's what they do. Like there's uh, you know, if, if any of our listeners are listeners of the Steve Dangle podcast, he used to always like look at guys like Kucherov and say, I wish the Maple Leafs had more of this, you know, and he would make the joke like, You know, the Maple Leafs need to hire somebody to follow Mitch Marner around and just fuck up his day. Like just (laughs) he pours cereal, fucking flip it over. He makes copy, (laughs) just launch it, just piss him that he's walking out to his car, take his keys, like take away his socks when he's like getting ready to put like just fuck up his day to the point where he can be grumpy and have that snarl because those guys have an extra chip on their shoulder and that's what you're seeing from miko Rantanen, the same guy that's got 40 goals right now you know this is the same guy that last year in the postseason do you remember the narrative about around miko in the postseason his lack of goal scoring how he had i think Mm -hmm. it was two goals in the first two rounds and they were both empty netters ended the ended the playoffs second on the abs and points behind kale but only five goals and two of them were empty netters. That's not a guy that's going to score five goals. If the avalanche go four rounds deep this year, that's a guy that if, if he can redo those 20 games of last year and play him again this year, he might have 14 goals in the playoffs. Like that's what he's going to bring. And it's with that extra edge that he's playing with. I mean, he can easily hit 50 goals. If you're telling me 50 goal seasons come with a little bit of uh, undisciplined penalties here and there, honestly, I think anybody will take it. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is this is uh, this is what he had. I mean, I think he is going to hit 50 because I know he knows that that's a big number and that's something that's achievable for him right now, given how many games he has have left and given the fact that he's already at 41 and only needs nine more. So it's very much a thing that he can he can he can reach. And it it takes this type of a player and this type of a personality and this type of, a let's say, energy to hit that mark. Um, another thing you kind of brought up uh, just subtly was the goaltending fiasco that's going on right now, right? Of course, they brought in Keith Kincaid. They've given Eustace Annan a shot. They just called up Jonas Johansson. The Pavel Francouz injury is bringing a lot of, I guess, unknowns. Once that's again, it does. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's that's the thing that's going on. First of all, to start with Keith Kincaid, what a what a goofy, funny guy. Just like when you talk to him in the locker room, you wouldn't think and and I'm not by any means bashing him as a professional athlete, but you wouldn't think he was a professional athlete. He's got zero like snarl and flair, all that stuff we're talking about. And I forgot we were we were talking to him about like something in the locker room about oh yeah, yeah. Someone asked him, like, you went from Boston the top team in the, in the East, like the top team in the NHL, just crushing it to a team that you can call maybe second or third, like, you know, at, at the time when the avalanche had a higher safe percentage and we're second in the West. And he was like, yeah, you know, that doesn't bother me. First, the worst, second, the best. Like he's just, just a goofy, goofy guy, but you know, he brings a little bit of a veteran presence that you had before with Michael Hutchinson and guys like that. Like this is the part that not many people like to talk about is, any team that loses one of their two goalies, and I'm talking the tandem teams, like not UC Soros and his backup or Vasilevsky and his backup, unless you use you lose Soros or Vasilevsky. But any team with a tandem, when they lose one guy, you're kind of fucked. Like that's what happens. Toronto, Samsonov and uh, and Matt Murray. Whenever Matt Murray's out, they got to ride the hell out of Samsonov and hope that Shalgren or or Wall can play a game here and there. And it's just what happens. Like the Capitals have dealt with that. The Bruins, if they lose Swayman, you're either going to play Olmark every single night or you're going to bring up now that they don't have Kincaid and that was their third goalie before, whoever the hell you're going to bring up. Like that's just the reality of it. It is unfortunate again to see Frankie go out, but the Avalanche can count their blessings because the last time Frankie went out, when Georgie played 12 straight games, his game really started to unravel. And I don't think we're getting there right now, despite these two losses. But he really started to unravel to the point that when Frankie gave back, if you remember, Jared had to give Georgie that mental reset. He gave him three games off in a row to kind of get his head back in the game. I don't think you're going to need to do that this time around, but it is definitely a concern that Francois is not healthy. You got to ride Georgiev because you quite frankly just don't have many options. Pure speculation for me, but educated guess, let's call it. Groins and hips do not heal. And they re-aggravate, they retweak. I think what you're going to see here, much like they did last year with guys like Taves and Landeskog and rested them the rest of the regular season to make sure they were ready for playoffs. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if that was that's what goes down with Pavel Francouz because he was a pivotal part of last year's playoff run. They're going to need they, if they need him again, they want him a hundred percent. They don't necessarily need him a hundred percent. They'll get to the playoffs with Keith Kincaid, Eustace Annan, or Jonas Johansson. Yeah, I mean, look, last year, it's crazy that they have five guys on the depth chart now that can actually play a game. Like, you know, that's not something that a lot of teams have, despite the fact that three of them just aren't really the biggest names. But the reality is, like, look, a couple years ago, the Avalanche were trailing 3-1 to one in a series to Dallas and had to rely on Michael Hutchinson, and they don't want that to happen again. If Darcy Kemper gets poked by a stick 
in the eye last year. And his backup goalie was who Vasilevsky had and Brian Elliott. No disrespect to the former Avnet minder. Your season's done. Mm-hmm. He's not going to give you what Frankie gave you. So if anything happens to Georgie, whether he needs a mental reset, he's not playing well, he gets injured. You got to have Frankie. And if both your goalies get injured, you know what? You just you throw your hands up if you're Jared Bednar and say it's just not our fucking year. Like that's just yep. the reality. No team in this league can win a Stanley Cup. And I promise you this, no team in this league can win a Stanley Cup if both their goalies are hurt. That's assuming Jared Bednar hasn't already thrown his hands up and said, this isn't our year. <laughs> no, no, no. I think the 14-2-2 run made him realize that it is his year. Miko's got 41 goals. Nate McKinnon's got 12 goals in his last 13 games. Imagine that. He's up to 25 goals in 50 games. He's at that 41-goal pace after starting the season just as slow as he did a year ago. Yeah, and he's in shoot-everything mode. I'm trying to score that. a ton of goals. Post, Post-All-Star game, Nate is my favorite kind of Nate. Every year. Go look at the numbers. It's unreal what he does. I love that. Sounds like a story you could write. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Superbook Sports. Uh, make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms. No guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promos bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app now or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Eric, you and I planned to do a trade deadline wrap-up show after the trade deadline wrapped up. And <laughs> on the Friday, baby, yes. Yeah, on, on Friday and the baby um, got involved and we were unable to execute that podcast. So we have a couple thoughts and conversations to have today on the trade trade deadline. Um, a lot of avalanche fans out there are kind of upset that they didn't do enough. You've kind, kind of, of is not the word you've hinted <laughs> at it already in this podcast. Um, I think what stood out to me was again, I've been watching everything on altitude. Haven't really missed a game. Haven't been as dialed in on games as I normally am with the baby in my arm, but still watching every game and saw the McFarlane interview that he did with, uh, I believe it was Mark Mosier. And in that interview, McFarlane kind of says, look, we're kind of in a tight spot with our prospects and our draft picks based off of what we've done in, in years past. And I think that said a lot to me because he's basically not throwing his hands up and giving up, but just saying, look, we made a lot of moves last year. And I think that's what people are forgetting. Yes. Lars Eller, Keith Kincaid, maybe a little underwhelming, but the four moves that they did last year, three of them are still here. Three of them are still making an impact. And once Manson is a a regular in the lineup, you know, you're going to still feel the, the trickle down from those trades. So it, 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 you, yes, this year was maybe a little bit disappoint, disappointing, but they still have those pieces from last year. They have a couple of additions this year. And Jared Bednar said all year long, he's ready to go to battle with the guys he has. So I, I'm really not too worried about what they've done because we know what this team's capable of. Yeah, so the biggest thing that I'm going to say is, look, we have been doing this podcast all season ever since the Alex Newhook's going to get a long leash. We'll see what happens. We'll address it at the deadline. If we need to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend at this moment after the trade deadline that, yeah, I mean, who, who needs a second line center? JT's a second line center. Like that's what we said all along. Like, no, we obviously we're talking a big game with Ryan O'Reilly, Jonathan Tave, Sean Monahan, Adam Henrique, a little bit of Nick Schmaltz sprinkled in there, some Boone Jenner, whoever you could think of. So I'm not going to pretend that didn't happen. I also understand Chris McFarland's point about the draft picks. 
My whole point is this. I got two things. Number one, there comes a time where, and, and the first thing is like, people are coming at Chris McFarland like he hasn't been a part of this front office. I don't care how many times people want to say it. What happens in that front office and the way trades are consummated is not much different than it was in years past, no matter what people want to tell me, because people have been tweeting me aggressively that things have changed with Joe Sackick not in that seat. I promise you they haven't. I promise you they haven't. That's number one. Number two, there comes a time where, and this is not the GM's fault, you look at the market and you say, what can I get? Because I would understand if Adam Henrique, Sean Monahan, and Jonathan Taves were all healthy and all got traded and the Avalanche struck out on all three and obviously Ryan O'Reilly and obviously Bo Horvat. I would get it then. The Columbus Blue Jackets weren't trading Boone Jenner. The Arizona Coyotes, Nick Schmaltz, you're going to see in the offseason if it's the Avalanche or another team what it costs to get that guy. And it's going to start with Alex Newhook. Like that's the reality of it. Alex Newhook, your first rounder, maybe a couple first rounders. Trust me, it'll be that big of a package. Regardless, there comes a time where you just say, what can we get? So I think Chris McFarland's point about the draft picks, it's valid, but it's valid in the point of like, what did you expect me to do? Trade two or three first rounders for like a J James Van Riemsdyk level forward? Like there was just not much on the market. Do I fault them for it? No. Bo Horvat was traded at the All-Star break. That was a long time ago. And the New York Islanders signed him to a contract right away. What the Maple Leafs paid for to, for Ryan O'Reilly, I applaud them for what they did there because they got ahead of the market. But even when they did that, Jonathan Tay, Sean Monahan, Adam Henrique, those are the three big names we heard over and over and over again. They're all hurt. None of them got traded. And that's not Chris McFarland's fault. That's just you throw your hands up like we've said so many times. And it's like, fuck, what do we do? So that's the first point I want to make. The second point I want to make is when you look at this Avalanche team, when you look at what they've done, the story that I wrote a couple nights, a couple days ago after their loss to Dallas, I said they may have to grind a little harder. They may have to face more adversity and have their backs up against the wall at times, but they can still win. Basically, what I'm saying is, look, did they lose an opportunity to bring in a big name player? Yeah. Let's say those injuries played a part. Let's say you brought in Jonathan Taves or let's say you brought in Adam Henrique. Like those injuries really screws you out of adding another piece. You have the cap space because you have the LTIR situation with Gabe Landeskog. It's unfortunate. But without those pieces, you still have a team good enough to win the Stanley Cup. Is it good enough to go 16 and four? And have a two nothing series lead in three of the series, have a three to one or a three to nothing series lead along the way. Never have a team reach three wins, four nothing, four two, four nothing, four two. Probably not, but you can still win a cup. You just have to grind a little harder. You just have to have your backs up against the wall. And, you know, last year, if the Avalanche had a game seven against St. Louis, we probably wouldn't have felt too confident this year after they've won a Stanley Cup. Yeah, you probably feel a little more confident. They have to shake off the demons of that game seven that they haven't won in 20 years. Like this team is still good enough. They, I promise you they are. Are they going to be good enough if Manson and Nachushkin and Frankie and Georgie and, and Gabe and Helm are all missing from the lineup? No, but if they're semi close to health and get just a few of these guys back and have a reasonable amount of injuries like last year, which they still saw Berkey get hurt and Kadri and Kemper's eye was poked out and things like that, they can still win. They just probably won't do it as easy as they did last year. Yeah, and, and of course, they are now deemed as one of those teams that knows how to win, right? They have the playoff experience. A lot of the guys in that room know exactly what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. They're going to go in and execute it. It's about getting hot at the right time. 
right? But what's what's been the narrative that everybody loves to talk about right now, right? It's how the East is about to be the craziest battle of all time, right? And I loved how many times you use the word market in your little spiel just now. Because for me, that's exactly what it is. It's the market. The East was getting ready for an arms race, right? That's what we've heard. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be an octagon. Hell in a cell. Exactly. <laughs> and because of that, I think the teams in the East were willing to pay a little bit more. The teams in the East had this idea like, hey, we got to get ready for this playoffs. It's about to be nuts. The Avalanche said prices are what for this guy? No, we don't, we don't want to dabble in that. I think the Avalanche did a good job of not overpaying for anybody just to make a, a splash, just to make a move. Um, you know, I don't really feel like I mean, I guess you could look at Tanner Janot, but there haven't been too many overpayments. But I feel like the Avalanche in their workings, their calls to other guys saying, hey, what, it'll, what will it take for this guy? What will it take for that guy? Prices are, were just too high for him, and they just here's, didn't see, see it necessary. Here's, here's the big takeaway that I want to get from, from what I'm saying. If there was someone out there that made sense, overpay. That's okay. Tampa Bay overpaid for Brandon Hagel. Tampa Bay overpaid for Barclay Goudreau and for Blake Coleman. Uh, and obviously not for Tanner Janot, which I can't I can't use Tanner Janot in the same category as those other three guys because they've now got proof of concept. We haven't seen that yet mm -hmm. from Tanner. Nick Paul was a little bit of a high price with Matthew Joseph and a high draft pick. Like That's okay. Overpay. If Jonathan Taves costed you for some reason, you know, not that he would have, but a first rounder and a third rounder and Jonathan Taves does, does his Taves thing in the playoffs and goes full leadership and leads you to his fourth Stanley Cup and your second cup in two years, it's worth it. It made sense. But nobody out there made sense. Who was left? What, you going to trade a third rounder and a second rounder and a first rounder for Nick Bukestad just to have another piece, just to have another guy? You can argue they kind of did that with Lars Eller, but they got, I promise you, listeners, Lars Eller in the playoffs, as long as his career hasn't passed him by, which I don't think it has because 12 months ago, nobody thought Cogliano and Helm could have done what they did in the playoffs. I promise you, Lars Eller was made for playoff hockey. That's a guy that ramps up his game. So give him a chance. But like you can't force a trade that's not there. Tampa Bay, for whatever reason, honed in on Tanner Janot, which, you know, makes sense. Like given the kind of player he is, they honed in and they said, fuck it. We're going to overpay because we know this is the piece. That piece wasn't there for the avalanche. Maybe it was Nick Schmaltz, but that's got a lot of salary cap ramifications. Maybe that's something they visit in the summer, or maybe they just didn't want to trade Alex Newhook. I don't know what it is. I can't say what it is. Maybe Arizona wanted Bo Byram. You never know, but the piece wasn't there to even overpay for if you want to go that route. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was watching, I think it was TSN and then I switched to Sportsnet. early morning. I was still on TSN and they, before the trade deadline itself ranked their five best teams. Every single one of the panelists had the avalanche in it before the deadline, yeah. after the deadline, same story. So even without making moves, the avalanche are still one of the best teams. And, you know, I think, Everybody, like I said, can hold their hats high that from last year to this year, there's a handful of new players that are still in there making an impact. And I, I don't know if that many moves were necessary because they took care of a lot of them last year. They absolutely did. And and the the biggest here was something funny I heard on the Jeff Merrick show. He said that and he said, I can't confirm this, but he said, I heard a theory from somebody that's connected with, uh, you know, general managers and front offices. And he said, the theory is the Western conference and mind you, this is after the avalanche beat Vegas. 
So this is Colorado on a six game winning streak, which like, dude, they went 14, two and two, another O two and one. And suddenly we're, we're in hell. Like, did we not learn from the Pittsburgh OT loss and the Tampa Bay shootout loss and the Tampa Bay five, nothing loss just a month ago, not even a month ago. Like, it's gonna be okay, I promise you. But yeah, like, you're really letting those Twitter followers get to you, man. <laughs> no, I just I've been reading a lot of these. And I'm just like, <laughs> like they went 14 two and two. Even when you add this 0-2 and one stretch, they're 14 four and three in their last 21 games. They go 14 four and three the rest of the way. They're winning the West. 14 wins gets you to 48. You're gonna have 108 points or whatever it is on the season by the end of that if you go 14 four and three again. But anyways, the Jeff Merrick thing, he said that there's a theory out there that he was unable to confirm that the Western Conference said, why are we going to overpay and blow our brains out to trade all these assets when the Colorado Avalanche are clearly the class of the West? Like in the Eastern Conference, it is a juggernaut battle. The Boston Bruins, as crazy a season as they're having, Toronto or Tampa Bay can beat them. The Carolina Hurricanes, as crazy a season as they are having again, the New York Rangers did it last year. They can beat them again. And who am I missing? Oh, the New Jersey freaking Devils who had a Timo Meyer. Like all of these teams can beat each other. It's a juggernaut battle. The Western Conference ain't that hard. It's not that strong. The Avalanche just played two of the top teams uh, in Dallas and in and in Vegas. They crushed Vegas. They got crushed by Dallas. Before that, they played Winnipeg when Winnipeg was still better than them and hadn't started reeling yet. They beat the shit out of Winnipeg. Four goals on five shots on Connor Hellebuck to start the game. Like they're doing their thing. They're looking, they looked up and down the Western Conference minus that game against Dallas, which they do have another one on April 1st. You have to also take into account at playing a Dallas team, no Landeskog, no Dechushkin, no Manson. It's a lot of heaviness missing from your lineup. But regardless. They looked up and down the Western Conference and they said, hey, we're still here. We're still the Avalanche with JT Comfer as our second line center last year in the Western Conference final and the Stanley Cup final. We won four games in a row and we went four and one without Nazem Kadri. So we can do it again. Like, that's just the reality. This team is loaded on defense. If you remember something we talked about on this very podcast at training camp, I said to Eric Johnson, you guys lost Berkey. You guys lost Kadri. Would you consider this a defensive first team now, given what you guys have in defensive depth? He kind of brushed off the question, but, you know, said, like, we still have the offensive horses without Nas and Berkey, but the defense is their bread and butter now. They haven't had a game with what Jared Bednar likes to call his five horses. That's Taves, that's Makar, that's Byram, that's Manson, and that's Sam Girard. They haven't had a game with all five of those guys since November 4th in Finland. All of those guys, like Manson's the only one that's injured right now, and he'll be ready by the playoffs, I would assume. They're all healthy. This isn't a Gabe Landeskog maybe situation. These guys are going to be ready to go. You're going to have your five horses, whether you want to stick EJ in number six, whether you want to stick JJ in number six, whether you want to stick Brad Hunt at number six. You got your five horses. You're a defense first team. Sam Gerrard's crushing it right now. Bo Byron's playing out of his mind. We saw what Josh Manson brings to Taves and McCarr, Taves and McCarr. They're going to be okay. Yep, I'm with it. I'm with it. So let's lean into that navigate that navigate. Narrative. Sorry. Narrative. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep deprivation kicking in. Um, the narrative of West versus East, right? I just wanted to, you know, have a quick conversation on that. The Avs are 14, 10, and 3 against the East, which uh is is I would say mediocre, but probably better than a lot of teams are faring. Um, but I guess the real question is now that we're 
just looking at from here on out the, to the rest of the season, do the Avalanche have what it takes? I mean, we just let, let into it, but do they have what it takes to go all the way? I mean, yeah. Everything I just said, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a tough series. It's going to be hard if they get there because they're going to beat some heavy teams along the way. And I yeah. understand how they've played against these Western Conference teams. But when you get to the Stanley Cup Finals, none of that matters. It's seven coin flips. It's two teams that have both won 12 games. If it's, let's say, Boston, I mean, as good a season as they're having, they're being rewarded with Toronto or or uh, Toronto or Tampa Bay in the second round. Probably a very frustrating New York Islanders team in the first round. Like That's a very big possibility. The Islanders can grind down the Bruins, too. So it's not going to be easy for them. If Toronto or Tampa make the finals, let's say Toronto just to change it up from Tampa, they would have to have beaten both the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning and then one of the Rangers or Devils or Carolina Hurricanes. Like It's not going to be easy to get there. These teams are going to beat the shit out of each other. And not like the West isn't. That's what that's where I was going to go. I mean, not like the West isn't. Playoffs but, are, a, are a war. Yeah, but yeah, but like we saw Tampa Bay last year. I know they crushed Florida because that was kind of a fluky season. The Panthers had winning the president's trophy, but they had a really tough series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They had their backs up against the wall down two to nothing to the New York Rangers losing both games. I think it was at home or was it on the road? I forget. They lost the first two games and then won four straight. And then the third team they played in those three rounds was the president trophy winners who they absolutely crushed. Those were who they faced. Meanwhile, the Avalanche had two sweeps. Yes, one of them was against Connor McDavid, but the other one was against Dave Riddick and Connor Ingram. The Avalanche had an easier route. They played 14 mm -hmm. games. Tampa Bay kind of came in like, you know, they kind of came in limping like, holy shit, we had to play some tough series. And what did the Avalanche do? They won game one in overtime. They beat the living crap out of them. Seven, nothing in game two. And then they lost game three. And then Kadri scores in game four. And the series was over before you know it. Three to one, you pretty much have it in the bag. You lost game five, you won game six. Like this similar scenario played out a season ago because of the route that Tampa Bay had to take to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, Minnesota and St. Louis had crazy good records last year. Yeah, it was a little bit different on that front. Yeah, the Calgary Flames were unreal last year too. And all those teams have kind of taken a step back, mind you, or, you know, Minnesota's kind of coming back up. But this similar scenario played out last year where had it been any team but the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final, you would have looked and said Tampa Bay's got another cakewalk. But because it was the Avalanche, you said, eh, not so fast. So you can see the Eastern Conference go through their juggernaut battles right now. Just a total and like, like you said, an octagon, hell in a cell, whatever you want to call it. Beat the crap out of each other. Get to the Stanley Cup final and the entire narrative is going to change if it's the Avalanche because it's going to go from the East has got this locked up too. Uh, I wouldn't be so confident if I'm the Bruins because now you are playing the defending Stanley Cup champions who, yeah, maybe they ended the regular season with like 102 points, but they also had all those injuries and now they're clicking. So have fun with that. This might have changed in the last couple of days, but the Avalanche headed into the trade deadline with the second best save percentage in the NHL. The goaltending is there. The defense, like you said, is there. Mm -hmm. If they could just get the goal scoring that we're used to, I think there's there's no problem for this team. My only worry is that they have had so much bad luck this year. It is that it, it just feels like the bad luck is going to peak its head at the the most inopportune time, which is what made last year so great, right? They they got lucky with the lack of injuries and and yeah. um kind of almost all the way to the end.
I mean, yeah, when when Darcy Kemper had his had his issue with the helmet, it was kind of like yikes. And then he was back before you know it against the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, Frankie was holding the fort down whenever he was out again against Edmonton. When Kadri broke his finger, the avalanche obviously turned to JT Comfer. Um, but they had Andre Burakovsky in the lineup who scored the game winning goal in game one of the Tampa Bay series. And then when Burakovsky was done for the playoffs, Kadri came back and played with half a finger and, you know, kind of did his thing. Andrew Cogliano also broke a finger and he came back. Like they had a lot of things, excuse me. They had a lot of things going throughout the series, but it wasn't the crazy Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon are both out the same game. Like that's ultimately like you're, you're a Nathan McKinnon injury away from JT Comfer, Alex Newhook and Evan Rodriguez. Like that's just the reality, but with a little bit of luck on your side, which we haven't seen, but like the funny thing is there is no Aside from the fact that injuries can linger, because that's a real thing, but if you flip a coin and you call heads 25 times in a row and it lands tails 25 times in a row, that has no effect on the 26th flip. That's just the way it goes. The gambler's fallacy. Exactly. So like, you could sit here and say, well, it's just been a season of bad luck. We're never going to get it. How do you know? Josh Manson can get healthy. Gabe Landeskog can get healthy. Even Darren Helm could somehow get healthy. Pavel Francouz can get healthy. Eric Johnson can get healthy. And you're in the playoffs and you go 16 and four again and you win the cup. Alternatively, Nathan McKinnon can get hurt. No Gabe Landeskog. And you're fucked. Like nothing that has already happened other than the fact that, again, injuries linger. Nothing that has already already happened can have an effect on what's going to happen in the future, no matter how much we want to sit here and pretend that the hockey gods and the this and the that. Like that's just not the way it works. So is this team built to win a Stanley Cup? Yes. Is the Boston Bru- are the Boston Bruins built to win a Stanley Cup? Yeah, but if Linus Olmark and Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand get hurt, the Bruins ain't winning the Cup. It's the same thing for every team. Right on, right on. Um, I guess that's all I have. I just have one last little bit I wanted to get to. It's been exactly three calendar weeks since I last podcasted. And in those three calendar weeks, there are three avalanche goals that really stood out to me that I just want to touch on. Just to, you know, I guess stick tap and give them the credit they're due. The first goal of which is Miko Rantanen batting the puck out of the air against Vegas. Because um, not, not only did he bat that puck out of the air, when he went to shoot it, it was in the air, right? Yeah. Was, I mean, just hand, hand-eye coordination at its finest and just showing who Miko Rantanen has really evolved into now at this stage of his career. Yeah, 14 seconds in. That was a great play, and that set the tone for the night. The other goal was another one that was super fast. I think it was the Winnipeg game where Nathan McKinnon scored, but the breakout that the Avalanche had to uh, create that goal was just so – it was just north. That's all they were thinking, north, 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 north. I think it was Devon Taves started it behind the net, and the puck just went pass, 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 pass. All of them went forward, and Nathan McKinnon ended up with a breakaway. Do you know which goal? Does, Does that ring a bell? Or Yeah, I do. Yep. Was, this was that, during that was this beautiful. was yeah this was during their stretch where they went three straight games by scoring on the first shot it's crazy right this this conversation you know I had been typing it in my phone keeping notes I was hoping by the time I was ready to podcast again it was more of a these are some some goals that have stood out that have made this great winning stretch so great but of course we got a little bit of a stutter but Dennis Morgan yeah when I when I stopped podcasting three weeks ago we were still waiting to see <laughs> Dennis Morgan's first goal. He's got four now. He's got four since then, and 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 a couple really nice ones. One on a breakaway. The one against Edmonton was just like, what? Who are you? Um, yeah, those are just three goals I wanted to to point out and salute. So yeah, here's my yeah. salute. 
Yesterday, yesterday was a breakaway for Dennis Malgin too. He's yep. he's given you the depth. The Avalanche, you know, this is something I talked about. Ryan Bolding three four months ago couldn't trust forwards 10, 11, and twelve on their team. They can only play one through nine, and then 11, 10, 11, and twelve. Eh, we're not going to play those guys. We're going to give them two minutes because we don't trust them. Well, they've since added Matt Nieto, Dennis Malgin, and Lars Eller. There's your 10, 11, 12. They have a 12-man roster, obviously, without Gabe Landeskog even in it. So, And obviously, Darren Helm as well. But they address the situations, and those depth guys are starting to pitch in. You're going to see Lars Eller pick it up, too. Give give him some time. Luckily, the uh, Avs still at home. Three more games at home this week. A nice little home stretch. Just maybe a chance to get comfortable, get some wins. Uh as they head down the stretch, but they uh, are LA playing Thursday. LA is a, yeah, well, a good they contest. are playing the San Jose Sharks on Tuesday. You beat 14 kinds of shits out of the Sharks while you have them. That's that's just what you have to do. You haven't played them yet this season. You got three games against San Jose, and they are a bad team that got even worse with the trades they made. Also, shout out to Nico Sturm. It's going to be March 7th when he gets his Stanley Cup ring. Like that guy <laughs> made waited almost an entire season. Yeah, if we did our morning skate video of what's your best memory of Nico Sturm, they're going to say who? Oh, oh yeah, that guy. That guy? Oh, yeah, I remember him. But, yeah, you'd like to think the Avalanche definitely take care of business. Is that the guy we traded Joe's for? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, yeah, it was good to be back on the podcast, shake off the dust, and uh, get back into it. And, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. No, I can hear you. I think, kind of. Maybe. Maybe not. What a thing. Look at that. Well, yeah, thank you guys for hanging in there with us this past month. Um, not like doing shows, but I hope to have you back. And we are, what is it, a month, month and a week, month and ten days from the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's getting, it's getting close. We're almost there. 13, 16, 20 games, I think exactly. I just tried yeah. to count on the fly there. So twenty games left in the season. So let's see how they fare and. It'll be a fun little ride down the stretch. So yeah, hopefully I'm back full full swing, full full time. Let's uh, see how I manage my schedule games. here. Twenty one games. Let me let me ask you this question as we close it out because I should have asked you this three games ago before they lost three straight. Twenty one games. They got to win sixteen of them to hit fifty. You think they hit fifty wins? Sixteen out of twenty one. They got to go sixteen and five. Oh man, they've got San Jose in there three times. They've got yeah. Arizona in there. They got Detroit three times. They got Montreal. Anaheim's in, Anaheim's in there once. Anaheim. Uh, they have one Anaheim's of the easiest schedules. Wow. They yeah. have one of the easiest yeah. schedules. I know they just lost three games, but it was three playoff teams. Uh, Doable. We, yeah, we just went through the entire outro music. And we're still talking. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. I I think they'll do it. I honestly think they'll do it. Right on. Right on. Well, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us on this edition of the podcast. If you made it this far, bless your pretty heart. Thanks for having me back. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.